Amen. We started a series last week on the Holy Spirit, and uh, so excited about this series that we're in here. Today we're talking about, is he a person? And we talked about last week uh, about what he wants to do in our lives, what he can do in our lives, and uh, as many of you know, uh, you've heard my testimony, I really didn't know uh, really anything about the Holy Spirit growing up. My understanding of the Holy Spirit, I came from a Catholic upbringing, was basically this, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you were raised as a Catholic, for those who are here, you may remember this if you went to uh, a Catholic school or you went through catechism, which was basically, uh, it was Sunday school, but uh, it was the teaching for us. And basically, Catholics had seven sacraments uh, that they believed in, and and there was a number of them that we believe in as well. These seven would be uh, water baptism, uh, confirmation, uh, Holy Eucharist, that was the taking of communion and bread, penance or repentance, uh, the anointing of the sick, the sacrament of matrimony, that's getting married, okay? And then the last one was the sacrament of holy orders, which means the continuous uh, uh, of Christ's priesthood. Now, uh, there was a lot that, that we uh, agree with them, and, uh, but there's definitely from some theological uh, terms that we definitely disagree with. Uh, one would be baptism. We, we believe that bapt- we believe in what we call a believer's baptism. A uh, baby doesn't get to believe. Uh, you know, Jesus said, repent and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of sins. So we, we definitely believe in that. We, we believe in uh, the Eucharist. Uh, we call it the Lord's Supper. We believe in penance, which is repentance. Uh, we believe in anointing the sick and uh, uh, all of those things. They don't, they don't earn us righteousness, but these are things that, that we have practiced. And then there was this one that, that I read. It was the second one. It, and you basically, you know, if you're a Catholic, you start off getting baptized uh, or sprinkled as a baby. But then it, it would be maybe later on, uh, as you were maybe in fifth or sixth grade, you would go through what they called confirmation. And that would be a class, and, and you would have a teacher, and they would teach you uh, uh, on basically confirmation was about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and after they got done teaching on the Holy Spirit, you would go through a ceremony and you would come up front, and, uh, and the priest would lay his hands on you and pray for you. Now, I went through confirmation and went through the classes, and, and, and then the, the priest prayed for me, and nothing happened. Uh, the reason why nothing happened is because I was going through catechism. Uh, I mean, this is just where I was. I, I, it's not no fault of theirs or whatever. I wasn't paying attention. It was boring to me. One of the reasons why it was boring to me and I wasn't paying attention is because I was unredeemed. I, I was in darkness. I didn't really know God at, at all. I had a belief in him. There was somewhat of a desire in my heart. I kind of wanted really to please him, but uh, it's hard to receive the Holy Spirit uh, when you're not saved, when you're not born again. As Jesus said, you must be born again of the Spirit. But then in the springtime of 1978, 
everything changed that May. And I received, uh, if I would have been a Catholic back at that time, I would have received my confirmation. I would have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, if you were a Catholic, it was, it was there, the sealing, so that it would strengthen you so that you could go ahead and walk out the Christian life. So he was there as an assistant to help you out. And uh, today, I want to pick back up on the Holy Spirit. And last week, we asked, who is he? And there were three points. If you weren't here last week, write these down. Number one, he is my helper. When that, that in May of 1978, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and a black, bald-headed preacher by the name of P.L. Pearson, uh, in a home leading a, a Bible study, an all-women's Bible study. My mom suckered me in going to this place. Uh, I had no idea. It was, it was all ladies there. If I'd have known that, I would have never have gone. And, uh, and it probably wouldn't have gone if I would have known it was led by, by a black person. I was, st- I mean, I was saved, uh, but, but I, was not, I was still a person, uh, a work in progress. And uh, but I, when I met, when I came to that place and I meet, met P.L. Pearson, I, I knew this guy was different. Uh, I knew that he was the real deal. I know that the love of Jesus was inside of him. And, and I remember when, when the meeting was all over, basically, and, and the ladies uh, were talking to one another, he came over and talked to me, and he said, hey, uh, he introduced himself. He said, good to have you. He says, by the way, he, says, he said, have you ever received the Holy Spirit? And I had just, I think a couple of days prior to that, was reading the Gospel of John from, from the King James Version Bible, and, and it described him as the helper and the comforter. I says, is he the comforter and helper? He said, absolutely. I says, I could use that. And, uh, and that was the day, I mean, it was a major, major change in my life of, of receiving the Holy Spirit. So he, he, he became my help that day. We also talked about last week, the second point. He, po- he points us towards the truth. And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't reflect upon himself. He, point, he, he points, him, points us towards the truth. The enemy is here to deceive us, to lie to us. He points us towards Jesus, who is the embodiment of truth. He also points us in the direction of this, the word of God. Your word is truth. So he points us towards the truth. And then last of all, we talked about he is my God. We talk about the Trinity. We talk God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three different persons, three different functions. And I want to pick up on this theme here today. It's so important. If, you, if you're Pentecostal here today, maybe you, maybe you came from a Pentecostal, maybe you were raised a, in an Assemblies of God church, or you came from some type of Pentecostal church, you really need to hear this today. There's some excellent theology I'm going to be teaching on today, and it's going to kind of just sew some things up here. And if you come from a background, you really don't know much about the Holy Spirit. You've heard about it, but you say, yeah, it sounds good, but I really don't know, really takes some good notes here today. And the reason why is I believe that if you have 
the Holy Spirit in your life. Knowing him and how to relate to him is a key to growth. It's a key to intimacy with God. It's a key to fulfilling your life purpose. It's a key to living in victory. It's not the only key, but it's one of the keys. So today's title or theme is, Is the Holy Spirit a person? Now let me tell you why this is an extremely important question to answer. There are a number of denominations uh, that do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They believe that the Holy Person, the Holy Spirit is is a force or is a power. But you're going to see from the word today that he is absolutely a person. Jesus referred to him, okay, write this down, him. Okay, he says, when he comes, he will. Okay, when he comes, he will. Now, I'm not really good with English or grammar, but when I look at that word, he, for those who are good at that, okay, I understood that that is a personal pronoun, okay? Now, why is this so important that we answer this question, is he a person? If you don't see the Holy Spirit as a person, then you will never develop a personal relationship with him. And he wants to have one with you. I want you to listen to this. Jesus' last words, uh, in his last hours before he would be crucified, when he was there in the upper room, spent some time, some considerable time there in John chapter 13 through 17. He talks about the Holy Spirit in great detail. Now, you know when you're about to die and you're sharing something, you're, you're pouring out your heart. You're, you're really paying attention at that moment. You're, you really want to focus on what is this person really talking about? And, and we know that Jesus died. And, and in fact, the early church, uh, it was launched. If you don't know this, if you read the book of Acts, some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The the church was literally launched by the Holy Spirit. You got to know that, okay? And uh, even, and it had great success in the midst of great persecution and great pushback. So, Here's the reason why we, I want to just kind of just get this inside. of why are, we, why are we talking about this? Why are we answering this question? If you don't see the Holy Spirit as a person, why relate with him? Okay? Uh, you want to develop a personal relationship with him. Okay? Now, there's a question. I don't know if it's there in your notes, but we're going to put it here. What, what, what distinguishes a person? What is a person? Write this word down. It's called life. It's something that is alive. Now, we know that weeds have life, okay? We don't like those things. Uh, we know that flowers have life. We know that trees have life, okay? But, uh, but it's not, not for those who are tree huggers in here, uh, bless you, okay? I want to give you a simple definition of what a, a person is, and then I want to give you a theological definition. Number one, a person has a personality. Oh, he's got a great personality. She, she, oh man, she's got a great personality. So much so, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Okay, uh, but let's look at the, the, the second part. A person, the theological term of, of, of a person, a person has a soul. 
We're going to look at that here this morning. We're going to kind of drill down and dig deep. A soul is made up of three parts. Write this down. Mind, will, and emotions. We think with our minds. We desire with our wills. And we feel with our emotions. Let me just say this here again. We think with our minds. We desire with our wills. And we feel with our emotions. With that in mind, is it possible that the Holy Spirit is trying to help us to think like God thinks, to desire what God desires, and to feel what God feels? I would say absolutely amen to that. According to Scripture, if you're born again of the Spirit, which is, by the way, the requirement for entering into heaven, seeing heaven, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again of the Spirit, okay? He cannot see or, or see God's kingdom. If you want to know what God thinks about, what God desires, and what God feels, you have to have God living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit can tell you what God thinks because, guess what? He is God. So we're going to look at here three, three questions here this morning, or one question, and want to kind of break it down. What does the Holy Spirit present or, or possess as a person? Three things that we're going to look at here this morning. Number one, he possesses a mind. Now we're talking about is the Holy Spirit a person? And we're going to see... You just say, gosh, Pastor, uh, I haven't even thought of a question like that. Why is this question so important? We're, you're going to see this as we, as we go through this. Number one, he possesses a mind. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Wow, that's awesome. Now, the question I want to ask when you look at this, how... Can he guide you into all truth unless he knows something, unless he knows the truth? He knows the truth because he has what we call knowledge. Uh, we believe that God or, or the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, it's not there specifically mentioned in the Bible, but it teaches this. We believe that he is omniscient. Omni meaning being all Omniscient, omniscient means knowledge. He is full of all knowledge. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that, that, that teaches on this doctrine of omniscience. God who knows and the Holy Spirit who knows it all. Great is our Lord, Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Wow. And then here's, here's an exciting one. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 3. It says, you have searched me. This is David speaking, Lord, and you know me. There's no one that knows you like God. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. and You perceive my, my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Now, when I look at this verse, I mean, th this verse is, is very comforting and kind of scary at the same time. Uh, uh, scary by, for, for the fact is, uh, if you think you can pull one over God's eyes or hide anything from him, it is totally impossible to do. I remember what, it was my freshman year in Bible college, and, uh, 
And it was, we, we had a wonderful, I mean, there was just a, a, a powerful move of God. We, we would have chapel five days a week, and we would meet for about an hour, uh, have songs, and we would sing the Lord, and there would be a guest speaker that would speak, or one of our professors, or one of the, one of the, one of the uh, seniors there that was about to graduate. But we had this, this fellow that came in, and, and it, there was just an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. It was just powerful. It, it lasted a couple days, and I just remember uh, there, there, there was something in my life that I wasn't dealing with that was kind of trying, and I'm, I'm still relatively a pretty, really young Christian. And, uh, and I just kind of keeping this, this issue, this sin, this, this kind of issue, my, I kind of kept it over here in the corner, try to, kind of, try to hide it from God like this. And, and God said, what are you trying to do, Mike? And, uh, and I remember, I said, okay, Lord, I, obviously I can't hide that from you any longer. And so I, God, God was calling me to repent of that, to, to bring it out into the open and, and bring prayer so that I could get uh, healing and freedom from that. But the comforting thing about this is that when I, I see Psalm 139, is God knows everything about me. I mean, if he knows everything about me and he's the one who created me, he's the one that can fix me and that can make me whole. And uh, so, so he is the one that knows it all. Does anybody in here know, by any chance, know what your IQ is? Does anybody have an idea? How many people know what their IQ in here? Okay. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, let me, do you know what, let me kind of give you a kind of a little bit of the average IQ is, is rated between 85 and 114. If you're right there, you have an average IQ. Above average is 115 to 129. If you're gifted, uh, it's between 130 and 144. Genius level is 145 to 159. Now, there was a guy that, that, that is synonymous with smarts, and his name was Albert Einstein. Uh, uh, he was rated somewhere between 190 and 210 was his IQ. And uh, now uh, I was kind of doing a Google search on this. And this, now we know he's famous, but this guy was, there, there were a lot of people that were, when it came to their IQ level, that were well above him. Now, have you ever thought about maybe what God's IQ is? How about God's? Here it is. Check this out. He knows it all. <laughs> okay. He, he's the guy, he's the person, he, he's the one that knows it all. And, and, I, and, and here's the point I want to make. I, I don't want you just to see that the Holy Spirit is a person. I want you know, to know the benefits of knowing him. Okay? Uh, he knows everything. And, and he has committed himself. This is so good. He knows everything. And he has committed himself to be your teacher. He, he has made a commitment to you and me. He said, I will be your comfort. I will be your teacher. I remember, uh, as you know, I, I shared a little bit about my, my educational background. I, I was a very average student. In fact, in high school, I was not even an average student. I barely graduated. 
I didn't like school. I was one of those students. If if you were a teacher in here, you would have not have liked me as a student. Okay, I would have made it hard on you, and there were, I was in trouble a lot of times. And and uh, and I and I really wasn't learning very much. I mean, I, I remember it in elementary. It was do I was a pretty good student, but when junior high, when it, it just I don't know if it was the hormone issues, just being unsaved. But there were some things that I was behind in. I didn't really learn. Uh, there was definitely come to find out I had some learning disabilities. So I was just, I mean, I just made it through however I could, cheating, whatever it took to go ahead to to graduate. I said, I'm going to graduate. I'm not going to drop out of school. And uh, so I I graduate barely. And then then I'm kind of trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? I don't know Christ. And my brother goes to me, says, Mike, my oldest brother, and he had graduated, was the first Rarick in, in history to ever graduate uh, from a college, and uh, and he said, "What are you going to do with your life, Mike?" He said, "Do you want to work in the factory the rest of your life?" I was, we were living there in Detroit, and I said, "No, I would not do well in that." He says, "Why don't you go to school? Why don't you go to college?" And he, he says, "You can go ahead. You, you just open up your world." And I, when I heard that word college, I mean, I wanted to go. I was going to, you know, I, I wanted to go on a football scholarship and just be a gym major, okay, uh, just so I could make it to the pros and forget about the gym thing. So, anyways, that crashed and burned, or whatever those plans. And he says, "Listen, I'll tell you what. I, and I, I that I, college, I mean, higher level learning. Absolutely, I just said no way. And totally intimidated by that. And my brother was a pretty smart guy. His wife, uh, Kathy, uh, was a co valedictorian. And uh, and he says, "Listen, you come and live with us, and uh, and, and take some courses, and and we'll be your tutors." And uh, and so I took him up on the offer. I, I, I took three classes, and one of them was a first aid class, okay? And, uh, but the other two were, you know, just basic. I think one was in, in, in English, and I forget the other one, I think, was in speech. And, uh, and so I, I, I made a decision. I wasn't going to play around. I was going to listen. I was going to apply myself. And uh, they were there. I was asking lots of questions. Uh, they're, uh, they're at the kitchen table, and they worked with me, and and, and, and working with them, I mean, and I, and I, and I aced three classes, and my, my confidence level went way up, and I became a full-time student, and uh, went into the next semester, and that was, that semester is when I, I got saved, I got born again, but I can't tell you, when you have someone that's willing to be there with you to walk you through the process. I mean, there's something, uh, there's, it's, it's that safety net. And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He knows that you have questions in life. He knows that you have some major challenges. And he wants you to get to know him so that he can be your helper. So we know that he possesses a mind. Okay, second of all, we know that he possesses a will. Acts 16.6, they, meaning Paul, the apostle, and his posse, it says, they passed through Fury again and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I want you to underline that word forbidden. Forbidden, it means in the Greek to exercise the will. The Holy Spirit had a will, had a plan. And, and he was forbidding 
Paul and his traveling companions, they wanted to go into Asia, modern-day Asia, to go ahead. They, they wanted to head east, but the Holy Spirit was directing them to go west, to go into Europe. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, we've done that with our kids. I forbid you. You are not allowed to do that. We, we do that all the time with our kids. This was the Holy Spirit, not just speaking to Paul the Apostle, but to all of those that were in his traveling band. He says, we don't, I don't want you to go to this place. I want you to go to this place instead. Why is that? Here it is. The, the Holy Spirit has a will. He is looking out for your best interest. He's looking out for, for your well-being. Now, here it is. I want you to catch this. If you would like to know God's will and plan for your life, get to know the Holy Spirit. The number one, unquestionably, the number one desire throughout the church in America and throughout the whole world is, man, what is God's will? What is God's plan for my life. People want to know, God, what do you, what do you, I mean, they, they, they figure it out. God's plan, God's will must really be good. How do I know it? How can I experience it? Two ways to know God's will. You can fill in the blanks. Number one is what we call the general will of God. The general will of God, okay? The general will, will of God is called the logos in the Greek, okay? Or the written word. If you want to know God's will for your life, you will find much of it, not all of it, but much of it in God's word. Thus, one of the reasons on a daily basis, become very familiar, read this to discover God's plan and God's will for your life. The second one is what we would call the specific will of God, the pneuma, okay, uh, will of God, which deals with the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. If you want to know how to be a good spouse, if you want to know how to have a vibrant marriage, an alive marriage, a great marriage, okay, here it, here's, here's how you find it right here. I promise you, if you will look at this word right here and apply it to your life, the principles that are here that talk about relationships and how to have a great marriage, it is all right here. You don't need to read any other books. It's right here found in God's Word. Now, the question is, uh, if you want to know whom to marry, now this would be to someone that is single here today. If you want to know whom to marry, you're not going to find it here in this, in this place. Okay? Let me, let me take you to a, a scripture, John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. Not some of the truth, but into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. He doesn't start it up. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. That means the Holy Spirit knows what's on the horizon. He knows what's coming in the future because he knows the one who is the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He hears things. And because he lives inside of you, okay, he can go ahead and whisper and speak those things into your life. 
Now, when I talk about the specific will of God, let's just break it down to one of the most important uh, decisions that we make in our whole life. And that's our spouse. Who, who are we going to choose to be our mate? Who, who's going to be this person that we're going to live with for the rest of our life where we're going to make this holy covenant with? It's, 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 besides following Christ, there's no bigger decision to make in our life. And uh, when I got saved and born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, I began to pray after about five, six months, really aggressively, God, what do you want to do in my life, Lord? What, a, what is my assignment? And God began to speak to me, and, and, and then ministry was there. But, but also right there on the heels, I began to pray early on, even before I was even ready to get married. I was 19 years old. I, I was just learning how to tie my shoes at that time and, uh, and, and, and learning about what is a curl, what is what are her desires? How does God made those things? And a lot of conversations with my mom and getting to know what. And, and, but I began to pray about it. And I said, God, I said, Lord, I want, Lord, who you want for me. God, you, you know me better than anybody else. And, and, and I began to express my desires and, and, and what I was looking for. And, and, uh, and then I remember, and, and then it was about 23 years of age, I finally started to feel like, you know what? I'm ready to get settled down. I'd uh, like to have a family, would love to have a wife, love to have a, a lifelong companion. And then I'm re- now I'm, I'm dialing up. I said, God, I can't miss on this one. And, you know, especially as a pastor, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's a horrible testimony. I mean, especially if you're involved with the Assemblies of God, uh, if you were to be divorced, I mean, you, you, were, you weren't, wouldn't be allowed to go ahead and to be a pastor, to be in leadership uh, anymore, if, especially if you went ahead and remarried. Whether you agree with that or not, but that was where I was at. So I said, Lord, I can't miss. So I'm praying, and then uh, knock on my door, 11 o'clock at night, and uh, here it is, June Ellen Wood uh, knocks on my door. Uh, she asked for a girl. It was my roommate's fiance, and she sets, a, sets us up for a, for a blind date for her. I had seen her before. I'd been looking at her, saw her at the church where we were worshiping at, and I remember it was our second date, and, uh, and we were sitting there at the restaurant. It was, it was a double date. And the Holy Spirit, as clear as you can see me standing here on, on the platform, and the Holy Spirit, he said, this is the one that you've been praying for. Can I tell you what happened inside of me when that happened? Uh, now, I, here, was, here was my plan. I, I figured when I met the one, my plan was to go ahead and, and, and date or court this person for a year, then go ahead, ask their hand in marriage, and get engaged. And, but I, that totally went out the, uh, the, the window, okay? I met her in January. We're engaged by March, okay? Married in August. So within eight months, I mean, it was, it was quick, okay? So by the way, I, be, I, I believe in a little bit longer relationships, very short engagement times for obvious purposes. And uh, so, but, I mean, but here it is. I mean, he, he will speak of things yet to come. And Holy Spirit, here it is. This is the one that you've been praying about, and he works especially well when we're praying and we're seeking his advice. Here's what I know. We don't know how to pray. Did you know that? We don't know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit does. You say, yeah, I know how to pray. No, you don't know how to pray. If you think you say, well, I know how to pray. No, you don't know how to pray. I'm going to show you here in just a few moments. Now, if you know, want to know what to pray... It's certainly found in here. 
But if you want to know how to pray, okay, because the Bible's you're going to see here, it, you can only know how to pray. It's by the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, in fact, you're going to be hearing about this coming up next week in the next couple of weeks. It's, there's a beautiful prayer language called praying in tongues. And I'm going to take you to a scripture here in Romans chapter 8. The Bible declares, just check this out. You say, I, I know it's a kind of controversial statement. You, you don't know how to pray. Uh, I, I'm insulted by that, Pastor Mike. Well, don't be because listen to what the, the word says. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. How many got weaknesses in here? We all, we all got that. For we do not know, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind, okay, of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints in accordance according to the will of God. I want you to underline that word in verse 20. He who knows what the mind of the Spirit. Remember we talked about the Holy Spirit. He has a mind. He also has a will. So the Holy Spirit will help us to pray. We don't know, we don't know necessarily uh, how to pray. But we may know what to pray about, but he will help us to pray in the Spirit. To know the mind and the will of God is to know the Holy Spirit inside of you. To know how to pray is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to be baptized with this Holy Spirit here this morning. Folks, I want to tell you this. It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be alive and to hear the voice of the Lord. Listen, there was a time in history. You look in the Bible. In the Bible, you read the scriptures. There would be maybe one, two people that, in terms of history, that were ever hearing the voice of the Lord. The rest of the people, I mean, they weren't hearing God's voice, weren't hearing the whisperings of the Lord into their spirit. In fact, there was a time, a 400-year uh, time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's voice was not being heard to what we know right now. But then here comes, here comes Jesus on the scene, and here comes John the prophet begins to, to preach a, 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 a message of God's kingdom of repentance and then Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he says in Acts 2.16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Check that out. Underline. I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. What does prophesy mean? What is, that means speaking about what is to come. You can't speak of what is to come unless you know God, unless you're connected to the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. God wants you to hear him. And you will hear him through the Holy Spirit. Now here's what really excites me. Once you see this phrase, he says, it's, the Holy Spirit's even going to be poured out on my bond slaves. Now what were slaves? Okay, They, they were the, the lowest of the low class. 
They were the people that were basically disregarded. And God says, listen, everyone's getting it. To the, to the, to the person who's not even really well thought of, I'm going to go ahead and pour out my spirit. Everyone here in this room, right here in these last days that we are living in, you are a candidate to, to receive all the benefits of what is talked about in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit possess? He possesses a mind, knowledge. He possesses a will. He knows, God, he, know, he knows God's plans for your life, and he can pass them on to you. And number three, he also possesses emotions. Galatians chapter 5. Many of you can say this by heart, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All of these are characteristics of a person. A force does not have love. A force does not experience peace and, and joy. But a person does. All the fruits right here, okay, are characteristics of a person. Now I want you to see one of the most important scriptures on the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We know that grief is an emotion. The Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, has grief, okay? What grieves him? The question is, if we say, so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I, I want you to, this is, in order to answer that question, you've got to look at the context. So let's look at the verses that are before it and after it to go ahead and let's answer this question. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, okay, falsehood, by the way, or telling lies would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says, speak the truth, each one of you, with this neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Obviously, there is an anger that we can possess where we can sin. So to, to be angry is to, in, a, in an unjustified way, is to sin against the Holy Spirit. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. And he who steals, by the way, if you steal in any form, way, or fashion, you are grieving the Holy Spirit, must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with those who has need. And let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. This word unwholesome right here, the Greek word is saparos. It means don't let anything rotten, okay, depraved or corrupt come out of your mouth, okay? Uh, so this, this, is, this covers a wide spectrum of what's coming out of our mouth, okay? This, this involves profanity, cursing, putting people down, teasing, okay? Uh, listen what it has to say. Don't let, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from you, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment. That's why I believe that teasing, okay, if you want to be on the safe side, uh, 
don't do it because most of the time there's a little bit of element of truth to it, okay? It puts someone down. It hurts them. If you do that, that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God, okay? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let all bitterness, okay, bitterness would do that, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slandering, that putting people down behind their back, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Let it be put away from you along with any form of malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So what grieves the Holy Spirit? It's when a believer, when God's son and daughter walks in sin, he grieves. We're not just talking about when he just, okay, I mess up and I blow it, okay? We're talking about when he's knowing the truth, he's walking with God, and all of a sudden we make a decision. We're just going to walk this way. He grieves. Is it because, is it because he's a spoil spur? Is it because he's a stick in the mud? No. The Holy Spirit loves you. He loves me, and he knows that when we walk in sin, it doesn't hurt him because of what it does to him. It, it, it's what it does to us. He knows that the consequences of sin always bite us in the end, always hurt us in the end. So what is grief? It's emotional pain and sadness. And, uh, and, and it's where you lose, uh, in grief, where you lose closeness and intimacy with the person. That's why death is, and grief is, is so difficult. I mean, it's, it's so final. I mean, they're gone. And never to be able to speak with physically again. And, 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 it's, and many of you have been through that, someone that you dearly love, and, and all of a sudden they're gone. And, and that, that pain and the intensity of that is awful. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you have a loved one, they're, they're going to be gone for a while. And, uh, and, for, and for them leaving, I mean, it just kind of, you feel like you're getting your heart tore out. And, and it's exact same thing what the Holy Spirit feels when we sin and we walk in this. I want you to write this down. This is so important. This is for someone in here. <clears throat> you don't lose your salvation when you sin. But if you walk in sin, you don't lose your salvation. You absolutely will lose your intimacy with him. You, you, there will be a time, I don't, I don't care what it, there, there will be a time where you just, you were walking with God, you were spending time with him, and, and you were loving him, and, and with, by his grace, you say, God, I want to live a life that's pure, that's devoted to you, that's walking in obedience, and all of a sudden, we make a detour, we make this decision, no, I want to do this, we just say, I, I just, I deserve this, I, this is fun, I'm not hurting anybody, and we justify all, whatever we're doing, and then all of a sudden, we feel distant from him. And the question is, can we come back? Can we have that intimacy again? And if that is you here today and you feel like, Pastor, you're describing me right now, can I have that again? And I would say to you, absolutely. How does it happen? It happens through heartfelt repentance. God, I'm sorry. I make no excuses. Have mercy on me again. Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry for not listening to your voice. I've shut you out. I heard your warning. I heard, I heard you speaking to me. Stop, and I've, and I've resisted you. Please forgive me. 
And, and the Bible says there, according to Psalm 50, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's David right there resisting the Holy Spirit.